0: Welcome to the Modern Biopharma Podcast. The world of today's medicines is big, complex, and constantly changing. Our goal is to give you insight into the people that are manufacturing the medicines people need every day. Whether it is the people taking care of these facilities, or those building them, or those maintaining the quality and integrity of every dose that is delivered to the patient, we interview the people that are making it happen and give you a chance to get to know them while we're at it. Thanks for saying hi. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Modern Biopharma Podcast. Uh, I'm Jesse, and I'm here today again with Brian Hagopian. He's a chemist at Clearwater Consulting, and uh, Brian's an industry expert with 30 years high purity water system design, construction, commissioning, and validation experience, uh, delivered a wide range of solutions to premier pharmaceutical, biotech, semiconductor, research, and other high technology clients. Uh, he's a recognized industry leader and active volunteer with a number of professional societies um, and I specifically know him from his activity within the I, uh, International Society for Pharmaceutical Engineering, ISPE, where he is a past president and done a whole bunch of stuff for them over the years. So that's where I know Brian from and he's, been le- he's lectured on a bunch of topics associated with USP purified water and water for injection and semiconductor grade water. So Hi, Brian. How are you doing today? Hey, great.
1: Happy to be here.
0: So we're going to be talking about sampling and mon- monitoring in a pharma system today. Um, and I just, I just wanted to sort of ask you, you've been doing this for many years, and we talked about uh, a number of different industries, but I got over 30 years high-purity water, um, water system design. How has sampling and monitoring changed over 30 years of water system design? You've you've done a few of these, so. Well, what what kind of things have changed in 30 years in water systems? So the
1: first thing that changed in the pharma industry is back and and I believe it was in the late 80s. Um, don't hold me to that, but up until that point, and dating back all the way to like 1890 there were a number of different attributes. And I want to say there were like a dozen or 15 different attributes that pharmaceutical companies were required to test their water for. And they, and I'm going to, I'm going to look off to the side to make sure I I list everything. (laughs) Chloride, sulfates, nitrates, pH, calcium, carbon dioxide, heavy metals, ammonia, bacteria, oxidizable substances. Okay. Now the, Each of these things, each of these attributes were things that a quality control laboratory at a pharmaceutical company had the capabilities to test for. And all of this testing involved going to a spot, collecting a sample, bringing it to a laboratory, and then somebody from the quality control department would follow the established procedure, add three drops of this, add two drops of this, shake it around, wait five minutes, hold it up to the light and look for cloudiness. Mm. And those were some of the acceptance criteria. If it wasn't cloudy, it was a pass. Okay. So we had all these different attributes and all of the, you know, and and the chemistries involved were things, you know, were things that every quality control lab could set up and, and do the testing for. But, you know, in the late 80s, people recognize that, hey, listen, some of these things are antiquated. They're not quantitative. They're qualitative. You know, is that really cloudy or eh, maybe it doesn't look so cloudy. Okay. So they convened an expert committee to try to update the standards. And what they did is they reduced the requirement for all those things down to conductivity, TOC, bacteria, and for injectable grade water. Endotoxins. Okay, well, so that makes it a
0: lot more simple.
1: It does make it a lot more simple, and in fact, a lot of the you know a lot of the other el- elemental impurities that we were testing for um, fall now under conductivity. That's why there's a conductivity requirement. Okay, so um, so we went from having twelve or thirteen different attributes to having three or four. And in fact, most of the pharmacopoeias now don't really require bacteria testing, which I find kind of interesting because that's probably the most, the single most important um, contaminant that pharmaceutical companies have to make sure when they're making injectable grade water. It's the thing they've got to make sure that they they maintain. Right, the water is supposed to be sterile. Um, so, so that's you know that was a huge change in sampling, but. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of the quality control laboratories, even though this change got made, a lot of the quality control laboratories had been you know, established. And for the last 75 years, samples were brought to them and they did all the testing. So there's been a, um, there's been a reluctance to accept online instrumentation for some of these parameters. And we can talk about that a little bit more um you know when when we get into things but you know those those are the things really that have changed the most over the last number of years
0: interesting yeah so um it's it's kind of funny cuz in some respects you you feel like things have gotten more complicated because we're able to we're able to detect at such a you know higher level than we used to in the past but in in this respect it actually got simplified because we were able to realize like this pretty much is telling you what you need to know. You don't need to know all those other things because if this is good, then all of those other things, you know, by their very nature kind of can't exist in the water. Right. Right. Yeah. So that, that's, that's like, so why do we, why do we still test those things? What's the, so I, I still test those things from time to time. You go into, you go into facilities and you're going to test for a lot of those constituents sometimes even in pure, you know, really pure water. So what are you, what are you testing those things for? Well, you know, a, a number of these
1: things are are tested for
0: because
1: of the pharmacopoeia requirement, right? Um, you know, ultimately, there are a couple of reasons to test in within a water system and within a distribution system. The most important part, the part that quality control and quality assurance want to know is, is and, and in fact, when the FDA comes in to audit, what they want to know is what's the quality of the water going into the product, right? If the water is used to make a batch of product, they don't care about anything in the water purification system. They don't care about anything in the distribution system. They care about what's coming out the end. That's going into the tank that's being used to make product, right? That that water. So um, in as much as you can draw a parallel, to what an instrument might measure in a loop, and what's coming out the end of the pipe, there's consideration that can be done for um, accepting an instrument rather than doing sampling. You know, one of the um, one of the debates I always have with um, with people in quality control is conductivity monitoring. One of the challenges with conductivity monitoring is it changes as soon as you take a sample. Carbon dioxide from the air dissolves right into the water and it happens pretty quickly. And if you look at the requirements for testing conductivity in accordance with USP requirements, there are three stages of conductivity, right? If it fails the first stage, then you do something else. And if it fails the second stage, then you do something else. And Um, And and all of those things are associated with the fact that the water absorbs carbon dioxide from the air and it changes the conductivity. Okay. Now, the conductivity of the water, I'm I'm, kind of straying into another area here, but (laughs) the conductivity of the water is something that doesn't really change throughout a distribution system. So you can measure the, you know, you can measure the conductivity um, at the supply, you can measure it at the return. And assuming that you've got, um, you know, you don't have giant dead legs leading from your distribution system to wherever you're filling. If you measure conductivity at point of use, all those readings are going to be the same because conductivity is an attribute that's uniformly distributed. It's a chemical constituent. Okay. Right. Right. And, and, and there's a, you know, there's justification for being able to use a, um, an, instrument reading rather than having to sample. You know, you're going to get higher readings when you sample, you're going to get more variation because of the sampling technique. And, and in fact, um, back in 2016, and in the three or four years leading up to 2016, um, I was fortunate in that I was able to lead a team of 20 or 25 industry experts to produce a sampling guide. One of the major reasons as a consultant that i had been called in to work with pharmaceutical clients. Turns out in 90% of the cases, it's not a water quality issue. It's not a equipment issue, but it's more of a sampling issue. Mm -hmm. And sampling is an extremely complicated process. And we actually put together a 120 page good practice guide to talk about all the aspects of sampling that you have to consider and that can impact, you know, the quality of the water That you end up getting through the sampling process.
0: So at a pharma plant, I'm I'm, I've watched this. I don't do it much, you know. As the as more of on the vendor side, Um, you know, I'm I can assist and be there and be part of it. But ultimately, usually the customer's doing it. Um, How how many of these guys are getting full training? Or you know, I I I don't I don't know what the level of training is out there in regards to sampling. I know you have that guide. I've read a bunch of it, Um, and you know, when you talk about pure water, it takes almost nothing to mess up. (laughs) It takes almost nothing to mess up those samples. Right. I mean, well, you know,
1: a a part per billion of TOC is an incredibly small, you know, it's it's one grain of sand in a two foot by two foot by two foot container. I mean, that's, you know, it's tiny, it's tiny, tiny. Um, and, uh, you know interestingly when we first started out to produce this sampling guide i almost kind of found myself looking in the mirror saying why would i produce a guide like this mm-hmm. i get called in in so many cases to consult with people that have what turn out to be sampling issues if i produce and you know, if i help to produce a definitive document i'm going to be talking myself out of a job of <laughs> right i'm going to be talking myself out of a job um and, and, but, you know, and ultimately I said, listen, that's for the good of the industry. i you know, I, that, that didn't stop me. That didn't stop me. But, um, and, you know, it's sampling is something that's near and dear to me. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a major cause for concern for a lot of pharmaceutical companies and people don't, I see all sorts of things, um, you know, in, in different places. Some of it relate to where the sample point physically is located. I mean, you can have all the procedures and documents that you want, but I, you know, I had a situation at a local client where they were finding bacteria and we sat down in the conference room and, you know, we looked at the procedures and everybody swore up and down that, yeah, 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 this is exactly the way we do everything. And I said, "Well, let's go look at that point." And if we fall and it turned out that in order to get at the sample point you had to reach around something, literally the size of a dishwasher, and if you flush the sample valve according to the procedure, the only way you could get at it was to literally reach it, and you know, if you turned it full blast, it's gonna shoot you right in the belly button.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay? So nobody's gonna do that. So, so then you kind of have the aha moment where everybody says, well, yeah, we really don't use the procedure, that procedure at this point, yeah. okay? And now all of a sudden people start to realize that, hey, um, yeah, we got a problem here, you know, and it's it's the location of the sample point that makes it more challenging. So there are so many things that, you know, that that go into this and, and people don't usually think about sampling um, and sample valve location during the design phase. They just, hey, we got to put a sample valve in. It's on the schematic. We let the installer put it in and nobody thinks about it until yeah. late.
0: Yeah. So it's funny. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned that like reaching around to sample. So uh, I know you've done more than the pharma industry uh, and I have as well. I, and I've seen it in like the lab, the labs where they have ASDM type water. And uh, you know, in, in certain versions of those waters, they have very strict bio, um, bacteria specs, right? Similar to WIFI. And the thing that I've seen in so many of these places is they have these DI faucets that, you know, they got the little crook neck and these, the good ones have flow that goes all the way to the tip and then back so that these things, you know, so that they don't grow bacteria, right? Cheap ones don't, but most of the good ones do. But then what do they, what do all these places do? Yeah. Put a tube on on the end of it. That's like three feet long. (laughs) And they it sits there like in its own like water in the bottom of the sink. Yep, yep. And, and I've been called in. I, I tell you, I've been called into many customers like ripping about how oh, the water's got all this bacteria in it. We sampled it every day for last week, and you go in and you look I at mean, it's like a green hose, and it's not a green hose. You're like, well, I think I found your problem. <laughs> um, and it's you know, I, I get why they use these things for sure, but at the same time, to I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm a water guy. It's like, uh, did you did you look at this? Like, <laughs> does that happen? Exactly. Maybe on the higher ends, I haven't seen it in pharma as much as I've seen it say in the like the, the healthcare, hospital, research kind of space. Yeah,
1: I mean, there can literally be, you know, dozens of different reasons that you could have issues with sampling. Dozens. So, and yeah, that's one of them. That's <laughs> absolutely one of them. So all the care that you take, if somebody puts that little hose on the end.
0: Yeah. 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 Or somebody, I, a lot of these, uh, these systems say they get a, they get a, a new, a new little area added onto the loop and they end up with little dead legs. I think that happens a lot of times, especially in older systems where they're retrofit retrofit, you know, it's a yep. 30 year old loop and you end up with hideout spots that cause tons of problems um, for them. So, um, all right, cool. So, um, We've talked about like sort of the things that we're looking for when we sample. Um, how do you prioritize um, some of these, you know, ways of sampling? How, how are you prioritizing different constituents? How are you prioritizing uh, where you're sampling? Um, you know, uh, like some things I know, I know, for example, here's an example. You, you might want to, in a pre-treatment system, you might want to be sampling for chlorine right after a step right after a carbon, because you want to make sure that that's doing its job. So why do we do that if, you know, ultimately down the line, we're going to have a conductivity measurement anyway, right? Um, why, why, why would we measure things along the process if we know that the final step is going to be ca- catching those things anyway?
1: Well, okay, so you, you touched on a, a really important point. And one where we need to make a distinction. We need to kind of draw a line and, and, and talk about when we make measurements for what we, call, what we would describe as process control versus what we would describe as quality control. Quality control being sampling the quality of the water that goes into the product. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas process control is, it, you know, to use your example, uh, if we have a carbon filter, we would sample for free chlorine after that to make sure that the carbon is doing the job that it's doing. Now, free chlorine is not a parameter that's required by USP in, you know, it, and and the quality control function would never be testing for that, okay? Right. But but the um, the engineering and the facilities people want to know is that carbon filter, if it's there, doing its job, okay? the same thing with a, with a water softener, right? We would, we would look for calcium and magnesium coming through a water softener, whereas, you know, and again, that's a process control. That's a, is the piece of equipment working? So it's really important when you decide on what you're sampling, it's really important to understand the intention of each component in your system, what it's supposed to be doing, and sampling appropriately For each of those points, you know, people get really nervous about bacteria levels downstream of a carbon filter. And if there's a reverse osmosis process followed by a distillation unit or two reverse osmosis processes, I'm going to tell you that you don't need to really worry about the bacteria coming (laughs) out of the carbon filter so much. Yeah. RO is going to take care of it. Whereas, you know, I've seen people, um, anytime the bacteria count goes up over the level that is accepted by, you know, for drinking water standards, we've got to hit it with hot water or we've got to steam it or, you know, we we got to do something. And so it's, it's caused a lot of people to turn away from carbon filtration that yeah maybe that decision shouldn't have been made. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to kind of get back to your, to your question, the, the most important thing is to distinguish between, are we looking for an attribute for process control purposes or are we doing it for quality control purposes? Okay. Mm-hmm. And the quality control, um, you know, the quality control perp for, for quality product, quality purposes that falls under the QA and QC folks. Whereas for process control that falls under the engineering facilities and maintenance functions. And interestingly, we could have different limits for process control and quality control you know alert and action limits because frankly a good process control system will identify a problem and rectify it way before it affects product water quality
0: so how do yeah. how do uh, or how does how does someone differentiate between the two internally and not you know like so say you set up a process uh, a process control so you know, you, you want your quality control to be less than one micro water, say, okay. And your process control is, hey, if it gets above, you know, half a micro we need to be paying attention, right? That would be an example, I think, of what you're talking about, right? Um, because we if, if we know it's, it's going over that half, something doesn't right, let's make sure we check on it. So how do we sort of keep those divided so that we don't end up, causing quality control problems when in reality it hasn't caused one yet?
1: Well, so it's, it's two different functions and it falls, the process control falls under like a different department. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think, I don't want to say never, never shall the two meet, but, um, it, you know, process controls should set up their own parameters, their own testing parameters, their own alert and action levels. And, you know if the requirement is 1.3 microsiemens or less from a quality control standpoint but a process is capable of making water that's 18 megaohm resistivity well then that's where process control should start looking at stuff and if it's if a process is supposed to be making 18 megaohm water and all of a sudden the quality starts to drop to 15 that should be a flag and they should have an alert to go figure out what's wrong Before it impacts product water quality,
0: right? So with the new, you know, with a lot of these places going to membrane-based systems, especially a lot of these smaller systems, you're going to now have, you know, a lot higher quality water probably than they've been used to in the past for a water for injection, right? Because I think most potentially, I mean, well, on its face, they could anyway, um, because you know, before they were making half of my micro uh, half a micro semen point four something like that out of a still and now they're you know it's coming out at 16 mega ohm right right away so you know it's it, it should be better um and uh you you, you know you're way above and, and i think in the past they still you're watching some of these numbers and going oh, maybe there's an issue and it's a lot closer to the actual quality issue than now with some of these systems um you know, your TOC should be low, everything should be lower in, in, in a lot of respects. Um, so are, do you change your process control parameters that you're watching as a result? Or do you uh, you just sort of stick with some of the old ones? How do you do that?
1: No, I think, you, you know, you look at the technologies involved and what they're supposed to do and determine what it is you need to monitor. You only need to monitor, you know, at a for example, reverse osmosis unit, you identify the critical process parameters that you've got to measure that will tell you that the reverse osmosis unit's working properly. And those could be the operating pressures, the differential pressure across membranes um, from stage to stage, and it's the percent rejection, which is a connectivity measurement, mm-hmm. okay? And you know, those are the things that tell you, hey, are my membranes doing what they're supposed to be doing or are my membranes getting dirty? Um, do I need to service them? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So it really, it depends on the device and, um, what you establish as the key, you know, critical process parameters that you've got a monitor to tell you that that instrument, that, that device, that treatment process is working the way it's supposed
0: to work. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's, it's very obvious to me that there's so many different questions and like you know ways we could go with this discussion for sure and i had all these questions written down i'm like oh i didn't ask like four of these still <laughs> um but one of the things i did we we started to touch on it and i think it, we wanted to originally and i just haven't gotten there so let's i want to ask this now but um you know you talked about how with a conduct you know conductivity is this easy one everyone knows it it's very familiar to everybody and it's something within water how it's going to be the same at the beginning of a loop and the end of the loop for the most part, you know, it's, it's, um, consistent throughout. Um, and, and so we can have, we don't have to have, you know, a conductivity probe every 10 feet in a, in a water system. Um, but in many water systems you have, you know, say 20 or 40 use points on a distribution loop and some companies are actually taking samples out of each one you know, sometimes every day or every week. So what, what's the driver of why you would do something like that? And maybe, you know, what kind of things could companies look at and go, you know what, you don't need to do that. And here's, you know, here's sort of a way of approaching why you can pull back and, you know, you don't have to do every single one. Maybe you do some of them this week and some of them the next week. Like, could you, could you talk to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so let me let me give you my perspective and this is something that it, we spend a lot of time talking about in the sampling guide, okay? So, of the four contaminants, and I'm going to talk about WFI grade water contaminants, right? Conductivity, endotoxin bacteria and TOC. The contaminants that we would we would classify as chemical contaminants, and these would be uh conductivity and TOC. These are things that are uniformly distributed throughout a water system. So, you can measure TOC at the beginning of a loop, TOC at the end of the loop. And if the loop's integral, you're going to kind of get the same numbers. Same thing with conductivity. If it's a biological contaminant, on the other hand, that's a whole different creature.
0: No pun okay? intended. It's a
1: whole different matter. It behaves differently. And and you know, you know if you've had any experience with pharmaceutical water systems, you may have no bacteria at 15 use points, and you may have two problem use points where bacteria always show up okay? That's the issue. So, so of the four constituents that the quality assurance function wants to monitor, right? Or needs to monitor to be able to release product, two of them are chemical constituents, TOC and conductivity. And in my opinion, uh, you know, through, and, and you know the quality control department can go through a process of establishing the um consistency throughout a system so that they can rely on an instrument reading and not have to collect samples you know mm-hmm. there's definitely resistance because as i had mentioned earlier um quality control departments have in the past tested you know they've collected samples and they've tested for you know 12 different attributes at each use point and they're, that's the way they're used to doing business, and you know, kind of breaking that mold. There's going to be some resistance, okay? Mm. Um, even though you can logically talk about how conductivity changes as soon as you take a sample. Yeah, people still test for conductivity. People still take samples mm. and test them for conductivity, and you know that that's. Um, so I think that TOC and conductivity are the two. Uh, the two constituents that are amenable for and suitable for and candidates for instrument monitoring. right? And and you don't have to collect all these samples as frequently as people are. Um, Now for bacteria and endotoxin, those are not uniformly distributed in a system. And consequently, you do have to sample for those
0: everywhere. Yeah so um so what i think we're going to do another episode to talk about that for sure um but uh that's that's uh you know i i've i've seen that in a lot of places again i think in the pharma systems they're very well designed and you know for especially the new ones they do such a good job um that you know it's not quite as frequent as you might see it in some of the under other industries where you know they're making a pvc system for you know, high spec ASTM water sometimes. And again, it's the same kind of, you know, constituent requirements, but uh, they got, again, PVC joints and elbows to nowhere all over a facility. And you're like, oh, well, I think I know where all of our problems are coming from. Um, So, well, you know, and, and alternatively,
1: if you have a stainless steel system and you feed a sub loop, that's got a storage tank and a heat exchanger and, um, you know, some other stuff in it, you know i wouldn't necessarily rely on the conductivity reading from the main loop Yeah. you know you'd certainly want to see if um you know what uh, what that sub loop is doing and and have independent monitoring there and it may be worthwhile to take a sample so you know this isn't this definitely isn't a one size fits all it's a more hey if it makes sense you should consider it um uh, because it will you know, reduce workloads and um, you'll get better data and it'll be more consistent and you can
0: have a higher level of confidence. In it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't, I don't know what your experience has been uh, with this, but I've talked to, you know, vendors that, you know, work with a lot of the instrumentation and, you know, I think something, there's something to trust your instrumentation. I have, I came from the air force. So I have sort of that background in, in the air force uh, where, you know, if you're a pilot, you know, you gotta trust your instruments, right? You, sometimes you're flying blind and you've got these beautiful instruments that do a lot of the work for you and you gotta trust them and I, I don't know, I feel like uh, in sometimes with these systems, people don't trust them and so they're always second guessing and looking for other ways to do the same thing. I don't know, what What do you think about that? Do you Do you see that yourself or you think I think I'm off, a lot off base of it, there?
1: No, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I mean, I think a lot of it is just based on the historical thing that, hey, quality control has always done the product release testing. What, Mm -hmm. you know, and we've never just relied on a reading from an instrument. What if it's calibration drifts? What if, you know, what if, and they can list a hundred different what ifs, um, to justify continuing to test. So, you know, companies have to look at, they've got to go through a, you know, a risk assessment. uh, Um, and, and it's a process that, you know that every pharma company knows how to do, and they've got protocols for doing it. Um, but I do think that's, you know, TOC monitoring and conductivity monitoring are the the most likely candidates for instrumentation to play a significant role.
0: All right, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the next one that's coming, right? So TOC used to not be used to not be that way right people you had to take samples and people didn't trust the instrumentation that was online but uh things changed over time and we've moved to a point where that's it's well established everybody trusts it and it appears that maybe we're moving in that direction for bacteria so uh, we're going to talk about that on a separate episode but uh here we come rmm and uh see what brian and gopian has to say about that But uh, that's all we got for this today on sampling and monitoring. Thanks so much, Brian, for being on today and uh, look forward to the next one. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Modern Biopharma Podcast. Please reach out if there is someone you'd like us to interview or a topic you'd like us to discuss. We will make it happen. And don't forget to like us on iTunes or subscribe on YouTube. It helps us get the word out. See you next time.